I left that business and I realized 48 hours running up to leaving that business, I was making the biggest probably mistake of my life. And what was I going to do and who was I? And as I walked away, I sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. But if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't have gone on to do the things that I've done. From ABC, it's No Limits. I'm Rebecca Jarvis, and each week we're talking to the most bold and influential women playing at the top of their game, trying to demystify success and what it really takes to get there, and all the trade-offs. Whether you're looking for answers or you just want to hear a good story, you're in the right place. Joe Malone didn't have a typical childhood. On the weekends, she worked alongside her magician and artist father, and during the week, she was creating skincare products alongside her mother and her childhood mentor, who also happened to be a countess. This was all before she was 10 years old. I think she was a natural-born hustler, and she says it was all in the name of survival. Growing up, she was and is dyslexic. She left school at 15 years old and was told she wouldn't make anything of her life. Here she is from London to tell you her story. Joe Malone, welcome to No Limits. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me to come and share my story. I love your story. Thank you for doing this from London. This is our first guest from London on the show, like actually coming to us live from London. So that's fantastic. Oh, absolute pleasure. Pleasure. So I want to start with your story. Um, as a child, you, you took on a huge amount of responsibility, basically running your household from the age of 10 or 11. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how that shaped you becoming a more entrepreneurial person? Well, I think I think our childhood and who we are and where we come from really does mold us. And good and bad, it can always turn out well. For, for me, from the age of eight, I made my first face mask and I used to um, go to the markets with my father and sell his paintings. He was a brilliant artist, but a terrible businessman. So I learned from a really young age, what the importance of telling a story, how a product was created, or whether it be a painting or whatever. And I used to do all the uh, local markets at the weekends with my father. So um, I would go and set up the stall and, and sell the paintings. And as I would walk out the door, my mother would say to me, if you don't sell a painting today, there's no food, there's nothing in the house. So in my little kind of young mind, that was always the, the first point. I had to sell a painting within the first hour, which is quite tough. So I would send my father off, we'd set up the store and I'd send my father off to go and get breakfast and coffee and bacon sandwiches. And when he was away, I would sell the first painting and I would pocket the money. So I knew <laughs> that we had something and and you know what that that young kid is still in me today um she's a know, hustler always... <laughs> i've never been called a hustler but um <laughs> well if you uh, sell I... a painting in that first hour while dad's away i think that <laughs> signifies a bit of a hustler um it probably does and then on the on sunday afternoons my father was also uh, a magician my father was an unbelievably creative human being he was terribly difficult in many respects but I adored him absolutely adored him and he was part of the magic circle so I was the magician's assistant so I was also the the, the kids that sold on the school, the school uh, on the stall in the markets but also the magician's assistant so I would look after the rabbits and the white doves that appeared from pans of fire <laughs> I knew how every magic trick worked and I would watch him entertain and um he would then also play poker. He was a huge gambler. So from the ages of 10, I could 
I knew what everyone had in their hands because he would pay very naughtily with marked cards. So I would signal to him in the corner who had the, you know, the royal flush or the the doubles. And um, so an eclectic childhood, to say the least. Well, and it sounds like you had a combination of skills, this First, you had the, the ability to be a businesswoman because you saw the business side, but you also had the creative side. Growing up, it was survival. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs start out to survive. Uh, you know, we don't start out with this great plan of being this great business person. I was, I am very, very dyslexic. So at school, I struggled and I struggled. I was told that I was lazy. I was told that I wasn't clever and I wasn't smart and I'd never make anything of my life. And in fact, I was dyslexic. I was struggling. So I had to find other ways of being able to learn. And I would watch and mimic. I can, I I can't do it so much now, but I used to be able to mimic anybody, uh, but I would watch them and I would copy. Um, and I think that's, you know, probably been a huge part of who I am today is I, I learn fast and quickly. I'm never frightened to say, I don't know how to do something, teach me. And then I master it very quickly and, and move on. And as a young child, I think that was that was where that came from. My mum was a, also a brilliant parent. Both my parents were unbelievably brilliant. They used to fight like cat and dog, and I was <laughs> always the one in between. Um, my mum worked for Revlon as a manicurist, and then she went to work for the most amazing woman called the Countess Lobati. And the Countess Lobati was a facialist. There were two great facialists in London at that time, Countess Charki and Countess Lobati. Um, Countess Lobati's real name was Doris Hilda Baker, which she had created this amazing world for herself and married a count and had created this incredible skincare product. And my mum went to work for her. And as a young child, um, so I would spend the weekends with my father and in the week with my mum. And in holidays, I would go up into this little apartment in ba- just off Baker Street where Sherlock Holmes lived um, called Montague Mansions. And in there, I learned how to create face creams. And I would watch Madame Labati make the face creams. And one day she said to me, I was only eight. She said, Joe, I'd like you to make the next face mask. And I watched her for months and months doing it. It was a sandalwood and rose face mask. And I took all the little jars out and all the little pestle and mortar, mixed the face masks and handed it to her. And that was my first cosmetic. And I knew at that point that was what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. That's so cool. And you you left school at 15. You talked about how difficult it was. You dropped out. I, I did drop out. I didn't even finish school. It was when I look back at that now. How on earth did I slip through the cracks? I just don't know. You know, where were social services? I didn't go to school for the last year. Um, My mum had had a terrible breakdown, so I became her carer and stayed at home. So I never even I never even finished school. It wasn't even dropped out. I didn't even finish it. And I just as though I just wasn't worth bothering about. Um, But there was this little kid of an entrepreneur. You know, when I think of the tenacity and the strength. And I remember my my, um, father giving me for my 16th birthday, 50 pounds for my 16th birthday. And he said, I just want you to go and treat yourself. And what did I do? I went up to a local warehouse and I bought 125 plain white (laughs) t-shirts and did all these designs on them and turned my 50 pounds into 250 pounds. I was, it, it was just, it was as though it was, the place that I felt safe in when I created. It was the place that I felt valued in when I was um, able to make some money and the place that I was able to support and help my family. And so that survival instinct kicked in each time. 
That's brilliant. I think it also, it, it speaks to the idea that it comes from a place of hunger too. When you are hungry, there's so much more you can accomplish. And mentally and physically. <laughs> right. In your case, um, it was genuine. Yeah. It was, I was never hungry, actually. I, I have to say there was always, there was always something in the fridge, whether it be eggs or a tin of beans or something, there was always, so I was never hungry. And my parents did their best, you know, now being a parent and being in my 50s, you know, parenthood is not always easy. And my parents gave me the best of themselves. And um, I will always be grateful for that. But I did have to grow up very quick. I was an adult by the time I was 16. And I remember thinking to myself, I, you know, why carry on school? Why go to university? I know how to make money. I want to build a business. And that um, that is what it, my first job was in a little flower shop in Pimlico, um, not far from where I reside now. And um, it was there that I learned how to be an entrepreneur, how to be a shopkeeper. And then I got fired because I tipped a bucket of water over the manageress. <laughs> that sounds like a, a small thing. A hustler. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what happened? Were you upset when you got fired? Were you worried? Oh, well, I I knew the minute. It was very out of character for, for me to do something like that. And I think something snapped. She, I'd been in the markets from four o'clock in the morning buying the flowers. I'd bought them back. I'd created a mess in the shop. I'd done something. And she just came flying at me. And I think it was just all that build up. And I just thought, that's it. I've had enough. And I picked up the bucket of water that I was... Um, doing the geraniums in so it's muddy and dirty and I threw it over and the minute I, I can remember that awful moment it was like Tom and Jerry when the water is about to hit her and you think oh what have I done what have I done <laughs> and she and she stood there with leaves in her ears and she said you're fired um and I went I quit I quit I mean it's just so bet Davis beat you to it but, well, yeah. So how did you go from taking that love of the face masks and creating your own therapies to actually building it into a business of your own? So I went from the flower shop and I then went back in. My mum was in the skincare industry and she had been desperately, desperately ill. She she struggled, my mum, in life with anxiety and depression. And so I went to help her. And it was there that I started to really find this unbelievable heartbeat and love of the skincare industry. By the time I was 21, I had already been running her business and I wanted to see who I was as Joe on my own. I just met my husband, Gary. Gary was training to be a vicar in um, wow. Bible school. And I didn't want to be a vicar's wife. I knew that. <laughs> so he and I started this uh, small little business together. He was working for a You were like, I, I have a better idea. Start a business with me. <laughs> Start a business with me. It was it was something that we kind of fell into in, in many respects, but there we were. We were two young kids just married and we were setting out together. We rented this tiny little apartment in London, in Chelsea. We had, I, I managed to talk the woman into letting me having just one month Um you know, upfront instead of three to four months. I mean, I that was learning and being in the marketplace and and learning how to get the best that you very that you could from people. And she gave, gave me a month's um, just a month's deposit down on the flat. We had no more money left for furniture, a bed, or anything like that. We had a little piece of blue foam, and I set about with twelve clients um, setting up my first skincare clinic. And within I don't know six months, I was up to a hundred people, then five hundred, then thousand. Within 18 months, I'd closed the books completely. I was looking after members of royalty from all over the world. 
British royalty, European film stars, models, pop stars. And it just grew. It grew at the most phenomenal rate. So much so that um, within three, four years, we were looking at a business that was, was starting to backfire slightly on us because it was growing so fast. Wow. And this was all word of mouth. Word of mouth, no advertising. It was just me. I was the receptionist. I was the facialist. I was the chemist. I was the bookkeeper. You name it. I was, and for somebody that was told at school, and this is a really important thing for young people to, to remember today, never be defined in your life by other people's opinions of you. You were defined by your own dreams and your own goals and your own, own determination. And it's a really, I'm a living example that if I had believed what people had said about me, I would never be sitting here talking to you today. I love that. And in your book, The Mission Statement, you say, forget what everyone else is doing, go in your own direction, get it right. But most of all, be original. Stay true to yourself. You know what? People that try and be somebody else, whether it's through their voice or their behavior or their lifestyle, you're never happy. Be who you are. Be true to who you are. And as creators, and I believe everybody in this world has a diamond about them, something that creatively that is their diamond that will be precious in their life. Find it. Find it. Seek it out. And then pursue, whether it's your hobby or whether it's your job and your career, your way of life or whatever it is, that it is that being true to yourself that will really make you make you happy. And it's those people that change the world. The way that you came to sort of what your purpose is, it sounds like you had this creative childhood, you got into uh, the the beauty industry because of Madame Labati. And yet for many people, they're on this search for what is that creative thing. Do you have any advice for how to think about finding it? If I if I had that answer, I would be. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think it's the journey. I think I think we're not meant to know necessarily straight up front. I think it's the journey of pursuing something and finding who you are, and making mistakes because mistakes are a vital. I mean, when I look at all of the things I've done in my life, some of the greatest things that have happened to me are because I took a wrong turn. Tell me and, about that. Tell us about one of the, the wrong turns that turned into the best turns. thing. Yeah. Um, well, some of the greatest products you create um, are, you know, a wrong turn and, and you add something by mistake and then you smell it and you think, my goodness, what, what did I just put in there? That smells incredible. But like penicillin, you know, penicillin was created because a pastor put, put something on a, on a window shelf and it changed and it changed history. So sometimes those things, um, when I walked away from Joe Malone and I made that call, I left that business and I realized 48 hours running up to leaving that business, I was making the biggest probably mistake of my life. And what was I going to do? And who was I? And I, I'd signed all those pieces of paper with Lauder. It was, it was done. And I was absolutely petrified about what was going to happen. As I walked away, I wanted to be the last person in Sloan Street in Joe Malone that turned that key and put the product on the shelf. And as I walked away, I sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. And for five years, I sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. But if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't have gone on to do the things that I've done. So some of the adventures I've had now from 
you know, a dyslexic writing a newspaper column <laughs> for three years. I wrote a column for the Evening Standard for three years on small business. I would never have done that. I would never have been involved with the government in uh, the great campaign number 10 and being an ambassador for creativity, traveling the world. I would never be about to um, help children in education and coming through in entrepreneurism. So sometimes in life, you just have to realize that the mistakes you make are not always they won't define you unless you let them, but turn it round and learn from it and allow yourself to travel the journey and the adventure. And that's when amazing things happen and you find that diamond that I'm talking about. So you And you just mentioned, so you sold Joe Malone London in 1999 to Estee Lauder. You stayed on as creative director until you left in 2006. It, correct. Uh, it, along the way, as you were building that brand, was there a moment where you felt like, yes, this is real, we've made it? Hear more with Joe Malone after a quick word from our sponsor. When it comes to hiring, you don't have time to waste. You need help getting your short list of qualified candidates fast. That's why you need Indeed.com. Get started today at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Was there a moment where you felt like, yes, this is real, we've made it? I've, I still don't feel that. Isn't that really? weird? I still don't feel that. And, and I ask myself that question sometimes. Is that... I think that's part of who I am because I'm always frightened one day it'll all be taken away. And so I strive every single day. So I never feel, listen, I don't have to worry about an electric bill anymore. And if I want to go on holiday for a month, I can. It, it, it's not that sort of thing, but it's it's something deep within, within, within me, maybe my own insecurities. But I never, I don't feel like I've made it as in that's it, you can stop now. It's that mm. continual sort of striving. And there's good and bad in that. You know, there's, there's the good bit in me, which is that work ethic. That's probably where it comes from is I don't want to sit and do nothing. I want to work. I want to be active. I want to use my brain and be creative. Um, but sometimes I'm so much in a hurry to move to the next stage that I forget to enjoy the moment. And as I've got older, I'm, I'm much more along the lines of, just hold on a minute. Take a mm-hmm. breath. Take, pour yourself a glass of wine because you know what? You did good there, girl. Um, I agree with that so much. I think a lot about that at, at my stage in life. Early on, every win, I just felt like any kind of success needed to be met with me pushing harder to get to the next thing, whatever the next thing was. Make sure you don't – that you take full advantage of every opportunity that's in front of you. And I think what, what happened – and I'm I'm very happy and I don't look back with regret, but I think what happened along the way is I sometimes missed out on experiencing the moment and fully taking in the excitement and the, the feeling of the accomplishment. Well, you and I have learned the same lesson then. And you know what? What a, It's great to feel that and that we can do something about that. And, and, and I do now. I actually do really treasure. I was, um, I've been honoured this year with a, with a CBE from the Queen. And I can tell you that minute when I opened that letter and I thought the letter had gone to the wrong house, by the way, <laughs> and I was about to call. A CBE from the Queen is a very big deal. <laughs> it's a commander of the British Empire. And... Even now, just saying that, I've got. It makes me. It makes me sort of feel, Joe. Look, look, look! How your country see you. And a few days after receiving the um, 
the you have to write back and you have to accept it, which of course I did straight away after I realised that it was for me. But then I received this letter, and there's one line in this letter from um, the powers that be that say, "Our beloved servant." And it's really struck me that many years ago I received an MBA for the Queen um, for services to the to the British beauty um, industry, and I really felt that was for me. This CBE, a, a beloved servant, I this is. I need to do something for my country or the world that changes the way it is for other people. I really feel this this unbelievable sense that I'm I'm here to do something far greater than just a bottle of fragrance or a scented candle. It's to give back. And I feel that that's what that CB is about. Bravo. So when you, going back to 2006, when you made the decision to leave, which has now opened up the door to so much more, how did you come to that conclusion? Because I know there's lots of listeners out there who think about leaving various things. And I, I think it's really useful to hear how people think through those choices. Well, I made that choice because I was diagnosed with uh, breast cancer at the age of 38 years old. And um, when I was first diagnosed, I was given nine months to live, uh, which was a real shock to me. And suddenly my life stopped at that very moment I had a young son who was only three years old and suddenly nothing actually mattered I didn't care about business I had I was at that point with the Lord of Family Um, my business had been bought by them the first person I called was the amazing amazing Evelyn Lauder and she helped me she helped me find a doctor in New York City I came to live in New York Um, I went to the Memorial Sloan Kettering and was treated by Dr. Larry Norton, who, if that man hadn't entered my life, I wouldn't be alive today. He was unbelievable and has, in fact, is one of my dearest friends and came to Buckingham Palace with me to receive my MBE from the Queen, along with my (laughs) husband and my son. He is one of those real amazing people in life that give and save lives every single day, and I was one of those lives. So I have so much, you know, to, to be thankful for. But when I came through all of that treatment I was on chemotherapy for a year and by the end of it was taking it every five to six days so it was grueling I can't tell you treat uh, operation after operation and then eventually I remember Larry taking my hand and saying it's time to go back and live your life mm. and I was so scared that it was like walking a tightrope without a safety net I want you know I was going to have to come back to London and I just didn't feel the same person. I didn't feel I related to the business that I built anymore. It wasn't anyone's fault. It just That's just the way it was. I lost my identity. I lost who I was, what I could be. I felt um, that I was not doing the right thing for the business. And I also thought cancer was going to come back and I didn't want to be traveling the world. I wanted to have time with my son. Well, in fact, he's now 17 years old, six foot two, fences for Great Britain, about, <laughs> wants to come to university in America, and I'm still alive and kicking. So there you go. You can never be defined by other people's diagnosis or opinions of you. But it changed me. It did change me, and that is why, that is the, the main reason I walked away from Joe Malone and the, that business that I that I founded. Well, I think it's a, it's a really very bold decision that you made and one that clearly has worked out very well for both you and your family. You then make the call a few years later, 2011, to launch your new fragrance company, Joe Loves. What was it like to have already done this once and then go into it and say, I'm going to do it again? It was 
now when I look back, uh, what a brave woman. Yes. Yes. <laughs> what a, I don't, I think if I had my time again, I'm not sure I would have done it. It really, was really tough. It was the toughest thing I think personally I've ever done because what makes it so tough. Um, I made every mistake in the book. <laughs> I don't know why I, 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 I'd love to, to tell you that I've worked it all out, but I haven't. I, I ran back in. What I realized about myself was fragrance is not a business to me or my career. It's my best friend. When I create fragrance, I am the best, the best creatively that I can be. And when I am a shopkeeper, I'm happy. It makes me happy. If someone had offered me a job in those five years, because I was in a lockout, right, rightly so, I'd been paid a, a lot of money by Estee Lauder. So I was in a lockout. I wasn't able to enter the industry. And it was in those five years I realized that if I didn't try again, I would have regrets. And, Rebecca, I don't have regrets in my life. I, you know, some of the things I've said to people or I've done, I, I regret those. You know, I wish I could perhaps when I was mean to my husband, Gary, or, or I did something. <laughs> I wish I hadn't done that. But, um, you know, but I don't have regrets. I don't have regrets of the things that I've you know the, the places and I didn't want to look back at my life and say if only you tried again what could have happened and I you know I'm just not one of those person those people to dwell in that place so I sat around my kitchen table I remember the day so vividly we sat with um we was just sitting having a little family dinner the three of us and I looked up and I said I want to try again and see if I can build a, a fragrance business but the mistake I made was I thought I could enter back into the industry where I had left I couldn't. I had to start from scratch. I thought I could run back into the industry and they would open arms. Well, no one knew I'd left Joe Malone. Everyone thought I was still there. Mm. So suddenly there I was. I was Joe Malone, the person, but Joe Malone London, the brand, Cream and Black Box was over there. And I was Joe by Joe Loves over here. And it was it was in a red box at the time when we first launched. And it was... it. it when I look back now, it was me crying out to say, please just let me back. If someone had offered me a job, I would have taken it. I would have just done anything to create fragrance again. But, of course, everybody thought I was really happy sitting on a beach in the middle of nowhere <laughs> and enjoying my hard work and had no idea because I am a really private person. So we started out. We set the business role in. We, we, we rented a tiny little office and um, did a few, uh, first pop-up shop in Selfridges over Christmas. And I got all the packaging wrong. The juice was right. The fragrances were right. We, we launched with four fragrances. And I remember that night so vividly in Selfridges. We'd spent the whole night there putting the pop-up shop together to open the next morning. And as the pop-up shop was going up, I realised... I hated the way it looked and it was, I couldn't admit that to what, anyone. What did it. you hate about it? The color that it was so, it was so sort of, um, if you, if you look back and you Google back, you can see those first boxes. It was so hard and, and it didn't have my spirit. And I was trying to be so different from Joe Malone that I didn't, I, it wasn't me. It wasn't who I was. Anyway, about four o'clock in the morning and I had a journalist with me at the time telling the story and it was like, what am I going to do? And I'm a really truthful person. So if you ask me a question, I'm going to answer it truthfully. Anyway, I went to the bathroom and as I came down the escalator, I was face to face with the brand I had created, Joe Malone Cream and Black Box. And I felt her look at me and you may think I'm crazy and that's absolutely fine. <laughs> I felt this brand go, what have you done? 
have you done? <laughs> and I, it's like I was having a conversation in my head with these two brands. And I realized that as I came down the escalator and I put my hands on the um, counter and I could feel the brand that I'd created. And I just thought, you're safe. You're safe. I have to leave now because you're going to be safe in Estee Lauder's hands. But I have to go and, and I will never forget you and I will always love you. But it, I can't be here anymore. And I looked at Joe Loves and I thought, well, you know what? We're just going to have to find a way. You and I are going to have to find a way to create global brand again. And that's where it started. Did you just totally go back to the drawing board and start over? Well, I couldn't. I was about to launch. So I had to. It was a bit like standing on a global stage in your underwear. <laughs> I had to wear it. I had to. I didn't have enough money. I had to um, go back, sell the product and um, start again and then and then we repackaged and re-looked at our image and I went back to what do you love Joe and I love white um, I live in a white house so I love I love just that plain white canvas feeling and so I sat there and paid a lot of money to a lot of companies and we worked with someone called Pearl Fisher who were amazing and they helped us helped us pull the white packaging together but there was it was void of emotion and I couldn't find couldn't find my nike swoosh on my little apple Mm. and this is this again is such a lesson for me so um everyone kept coming up with these weird crazy ideas and i couldn't bear any of them and i've either got to love something a million percent or i hate it there's nothing in between with me and i was sitting at my desk and i was about to go to shanghai with the great campaigners then one of the ambassadors and someone had sent me a little bottle of red nail varnish called shanghai red and i was sitting there with a whole lot of joe loves labels and I picked up a pencil, I dropped it in the red nail varnish and I dropped one drop on each of the label and I looked and it was like, there she is, there's, there's your, your brand. Um, because I'm dyslexic, I red dot everything when I have approved it and it was right in front of me the whole time and it was probably cost me $10, not hundreds of thousands of pounds <laughs> to find and there it was with a little bottle of red nail varnish. And if you look at the bags today and you feel them, you run your hand over the red dot and it's raised so that I never forget the moment um, that that little bottle of red nail varnish changed our brand. I love that. We'll post on Instagram some before and after pictures so uh, our listeners can see the uh, the genesis of, of the final thing. And I think it's interesting, too, because... Obviously, when you set out to create the initial packaging, there was probably at least some pressure behind the scenes to differentiate from the original Joe Malone London brand. And as a result, you probably got pushed in a direction that went very that that veered so far away from your original that it just was not true to you. That you hit the nail on the head. Absolutely, it was me that pushed myself. But I knew, you know, you know something. I love the Lauder family. I love that brand, Joe Malone. I'm not part of it and I don't relate to it creatively anymore. But it does, it's not to say that this was never about harming or being going into competition. See, I can't, I can't see that brand as my competition because it's part of me. But it was, I did need to move on and I didn't want to repeat life. I didn't want to go back. I, I, I don't want to go back. Mm-hmm. I want to move forward. And Joe loves, the minute I got that packaging right, Something happened to me. I started to find this brave girl that maybe has been inside me all along. I don't know. This brave girl that was just like, just take risks. Don't don't be bothered whether everybody agrees with you or likes it. It it doesn't matter. 
be true to who you are. And that, that I think when people are building brands and especially when they've got their name attached to it, you know what? It's part of your soul. I remember many years, many years ago, one of the best pieces of advice I got was from Oprah Winfrey. I went on her show. I was the only Brit there and it was about million dollar businesses. And I remember saying to her, if you could give me one piece of advice in life, what would it be? And she said, own everything you do, stamp your identity on everything you do. And that has stayed with me. That was That's probably one of the best pieces of advice, business advice I've ever had. And I've tried to stay. And the minute I veer off of that, that's when I make mistakes. Stay true to who you are. Allow your soul, your personality to come through in your business. That is such a great lesson. I'm so thankful you shared that with us. And from Oprah. She, uh, I did her show. It transformed my business. But that. What does that do for your business? Like when you go on Oprah, what, what, what changes in the business? Is it an overnight thing? It wasn't quite overnight, but it was, it changed our business. We would have coach loads of people um, drawing up uh, that the, you know what I love about that, that that woman, though, is she's never forgotten her roots. She's mm. never forgotten who she really is. And she shares that that wonderful commitment to the next generation. And that one piece of advice really did did stay with me. And it did transform our business without it. And I think all of the other business, I remember the show that we were on, there was Jumbo Juice, myself. There was um, a young girl that had created this bacon rack that went into the microwave that made crispy bacon she was only (laughs) 13 years old so you know what what we have to remember as entrepreneurs and as founders and of people who go and and, and create great things is the baton of the next successful generation is our responsibility to hand over and open the doors it is a responsibility to the next generation and say we believe in you just as someone believed in us and it's um, it's a br- important responsibility to take hold of. Your new fragrance, Joe by Joe Loves, just came out. This is the first one you've ever named after yourself. Well, you you can only do it once. <laughs> <laughs> what was what what led to you naming it after yourself? Because all of your other fragrances over the years, you, you typically name them after what they're made of. Um, and I'll probably go back back to that. So there was there's a moment in your life where your this fragrance is about my past, my present, my future. And I don't know whether you've ever felt it in your life where they all become one moment, mm-hmm. where everything you've learnt, everything you are, and all your dreams and aspirations become. It's almost as though everything you've worked for, you're walking towards the light at the end of the tunnel, and you feel the light hitting your face, and it's like you're there, girl. You're about to do something amazing all over again. And I wanted to celebrate the moment. And this is this my past, my present, and my future told in this story of grapefruit. So it's all the way through my life, all those moments that have stopped me. And I literally threw every grapefruit note I could find in the world at this fragrance. I wanted her in a red bottle. And next year, I have been a shopkeeper for 25 years and have built two brands. And who knows what I'm going on to do. And I wanted a moment where I could look at a fragrance and say that was the moment that I knew I was about to change the world again. Wow. I love that. So what along the way has been the toughest lesson? I've had lots of tough lessons. I think one of the toughest lessons is um, trusting people who let you down. Mm. Because had... you did trust people who let you down repeatedly or... Not repeatedly, but I think that's one of my life lessons. You see, I walk into every relationship and I'm I'm trusting. 
you know, what you see is what you get with me. If you're, if I'm happy, you'll know. If I'm sad, you'll know. If I'm cross, you'll know. I, I, but not everyone else is like that. So mm-hmm. I think that's. I've had to. Sometimes it's like just stand back for a bit, girl. Just don't don't jump in there straight away. Just just let it. Let, but you know, you can tell in this interview. You know, you ask me a question, I, I answer it, and I'm like that in business. So I think that has been a big lesson to me. Um, I've learned more good lessons than I have bad. Um, and I don't focus on on the negative. I always I always choose to turn the page and, and move on. But I th- yeah, I think that's probably a big lesson. Um, it's an interesting point. I was going to say that um, you know, in, in that circumstance, when when people surprise you because you're straightforward, you're a straight shooter, and you say what you need and what you want, and you would hope for the same. It takes so much more energy to not be straightforward and then to respond to people who aren't straightforward. It's, you know, for me, it's not a world I want to live in. You know, one bad apple rots the crate. And it's so true. It's so true. And I think I'm a very direct human being. If um, if I'm, uh, you will always know where you stand with me. But not everyone is the same. And I've had to realise as well that not everyone is the same. So it's not that I've found the right way, but it's the right way for me. And I choose to live my life surrounded by people, both in business, in, in my friends, um, and new relationships that, that share that common decency, I suppose. How do you handle that in a relationship or in a business relationship where you realize that somebody isn't a straight shooter? You might have thought that they originally were. That's part of life, isn't it? I yeah. mean, we've all been in that situation. And sometimes you always have three choices in life. People who say, um, I mean, I am a control freak. I know I am. So always in life, I think, okay, well, what shall I do in this situation? You can either accept the situation and, and go along with it. You can either get yourself out of the situation or the most powerful choice you have is you accept the situation, but you change your mindset. And that that last option is the most powerful because it means you haven't run away from a situation you faced it and sometimes it is having a confrontational discussion and sometimes it's not and you have to gauge which one is it worth this or is it not worth it um and for in my opinion people are always worth a second chance here here could not agree with you more so we ask everybody on the show about the worst advice they received in their career what is the worst advice you've received along the way I haven't received a lot of bad advice, but I think one of the one of the worst things in business was when I came up with the uh, the fragrance paintbrush, which was launched last year. Which for me is I'm going to change the way the world wears fragrance, and with a paintbrush instead of spraying your fragrance, you're going to paint your body. And I remember pre- presenting it, and somebody turned around and went, "Oh." That's never going to catch on. It's so gimmicky. And it crushed me, absolutely crushed me. I'd worked for a year and I remember thinking, I'll show you. Well, they were wrong. They were. That was the worst bit of business advice. If I had listened to that, I wouldn't be changing the way the world wears fragrance. And that has been the most, the biggest catalyst to me creating a global brand it has ever been, that single paintbrush. So if wow. I'd listened to that, I'd never, I'd never be... I'm about to do something amazing, which um, it, when it happens, I'd love to come back and share it with you and yes. the journey and the adventure because, boy, has it been exciting. Um, so that's the worst bit of business. Personal, 
was somebody once said to me, never marry that man, Gary Wilcox. It will be the worst and you'll last a year. And I've been married for 33 years this year and very happily. I'm very happy to hear that. Why did they say that? Was it because of his dreams of becoming a vicar? I think she was jealous. I think she saw a good-looking good man (laughs) and thought, I'll take him for myself. Well, I didn't listen. And it has been one of the – he's my best friend. It's been one of the happiest relationships I've ever had in my life. Well, I'm so thankful to hear that. Thank you so much for taking some time to chat with us, Joe Malone. Thank you, Rebecca. All right, it's the end of the interview, which means it's time for our No Limits Entrepreneur of the Week, where we feature one of you, our amazing listeners, who's building something of your own. And this week's No Limits Entrepreneur is Anna Zakowski. She's the founder of Peterson Swim. And what's really unique about Anna is that her company makes swimsuits with tan-through straps. Yes, Imagine that, being at the beach and not having to think about your straps. Well, it's simple yet spot on for what so many people are looking for. And here's the best part. Although the straps are tan through, they say they block burning UVB rays. Here she is to tell you more. Hi, everyone. My name is Anna, and I'm the creator of Peter Sun Swim. We make bikinis with tan through straps for no tan lines on your shoulders, back, and hips. Our suits are as cute as they are functional, so you can check out some photos on our website, petersunswim.com. I created Peterson Swim because I used to get very annoying tan lines on my chest and on my shoulders, and none of the existing solutions worked for me. Peterson Swim bikinis allow you to be carefree and present on the beach or in the sun without worrying about things like getting annoying tan lines or your top falling off. We've recently transitioned from handmaking our suits to manufacturing, so stay tuned for pre-order information, which will be available in the fall. Thanks. Congratulations, Anna. I wish you continued success. And to those of you listeners who want to learn more about her, you can head on over to my Instagram at Rebecca Jarvis to hear more from her and how she built her business. Don't forget, if you or someone you know should be featured here on the podcast, send me those nominations or your career questions to no limits with RJ podcast at gmail.com. I know how busy we all are when you send those notes. I really appreciate it. I also want to say thank you so much to those of you who have been leaving us reviews like this one from tiny t 24 who writes i look forward to listening to no limits every week it inspires me thank you so much for the great content and amazing guests thank you tiny t 24 and finally a shout out to our team here at abc that helps make this happen week after week our producer taylor dunn editor michelle boncardo research assistant annie osakwe and the abc radio team david rind elizabeth russo josh cohan andrew kelb and steve jones Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts.